Hey, it's Curious City's Jason Mark. After a couple of holiday seasons made very difficult by the pandemic, people are traveling again and gathering again in homes and offices to celebrate and simply be together. Food will be eaten, drinks will be drunk, and presents will be exchanged. One of the ways we give gifts is via the old grab bag. Everyone contributes a little something that anyone might like. By its very nature, it's a little easier, a little quicker, and a bit more potluck. And so it is with this last Curious City of the Year. We're calling it the Grab Bag Edition. We put questions that you submitted in 2022, nearly 700, into a giant bag, and we've pulled a few to answer for you all at once. Later, I'll be joined by former Curious City reporter and food aficionado Monica Eng, who helps us find the best places to get shrimp in Chicago. Okay, so here, got the shrimp, holding it by the tail, and here we go. Mm-mm-mm. First, though, Crane Chicago business reporter and longtime Chicago history and architecture maven Dennis Rodkin answers the first set of questions out of the bag. That's next. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I arrive at the offices of Crane Chicago Business, where Dennis Rodkin reports on real estate. The view looks straight down on Millennium Park and the whole lakeshore going south. We find an empty conference room and get straight to our grab bag business. The first question comes from listener Rory Coleman. Rory recently dropped us a line and asked about Cricket Hill near Montrose Harbor. He's heard it's an artificial hill, but he wants to know why anyone would build a giant hill, at least giant for Chicago, along the lakefront. Well, the hill comes after the peninsula it was on. So let's first talk about that peninsula that juts out around Montrose Beach and Montrose Harbor. Chicago Park District is developing all that parkland that is east of DuSable Lakeshore Drive in the 1930s. And when it gets up to the area around Montrose, they build out this wide space to create a large peninsula for a big bathing beach. So what ends up there to the west of that beach is a large playing area, large athletic area. And it becomes the favored place of Chicago's cricket leagues to play cricket right there at Wilson and the Drive. I had no idea that the sport of cricket was ever a thing in Chicago. Dennis explains that cricket was actually pretty popular in and around the city beginning in the 1880s. Cricket was being played uh, where Comiskey Park was eventually built. There were cricket fields in several places in Oak Park. And then there's league play. There was enough cricket being played that there was league play. And this spot at Wilson and the Drive 
was the place where cricket tournaments happened. Uh, you can see lots of mentions in the Tribune of um, league play between Winnetka and Hyde Park, between Oak Park and South Park. Fast forward to the late 1940s. This spot next to Montrose Harbor had become known as the cricket field. But in the off-season, during the winter... Park District President James Gately decides that we need a sled hill on that same space it becomes pretty obvious that you can call it Cricket Hill because it's next to Cricket Field. It also works really well when cricket matches are being played as a place to sit on and watch the cricket uh, matches going on, but primarily it's for sledding down. And how does it become a hill? One of the things he mentions, Gately mentions, is it cost the public almost nothing because it was dirt that had been excavated for a tunnel that the construction company was willing to give to the park district. Unfortunately, in these Tribune articles where Gately talks about that, he never said what tunnel it was. And that's something I'd really like to know. I looked for tunnels that were being built about the same time. Can't find one because it would be great to be able to say Cricket Hill is the remains of whatever underpass, but couldn't find it. Someday, Dennis will find the exact source of all that dirt. But before we move on to the next grab bag question, there's a certain legend about the hill that's circulated for years. You know, it's a great story, and it would be nice if it were true. But there is a an old legend that a circus train crashed and an elephant died, and the elephant needed to be buried and was buried there in the, in the parkland. And supposedly that elephant's name was Cricket. There are a lot of reasons you can sort of guess that that wouldn't be true. First of all, the why wouldn't they just dig a deeper hole and put the entire carcass underneath? As the carcass deteriorates, wouldn't the hill settle? It's a great story, but it's just not true. No, not true. Fun, yes. True, no. Okay, here's the next one that came out of the bag. Curious citizen Jason Karansky sent us a question when he and his wife were house hunting. He noticed that... Once you're west of Pulaski, all the streets begin with the letter K. Then west of Cicero, they all start with the letter L, and so on as you head west. Jason wanted to know what was up with that. Dennis? Well, so this is a relic of Chicago being the fastest growing city in the world in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. In June 1889, was the largest annexation. There were lots of annexations of space beyond the inner parts of the city. But in 1889, there was about 130 square miles annexed. And it it sort of created a horseshoe around the old city. City gained 225,000 people in one big gulp. At that time, there's a man named John Riley, superintendent of the city's Bureau of Maps. And he said, let's start at the Indiana border And as you march west, give each mile a letter. Riley was talking about north-south streets. So the first mile west of the Indiana line, the street names would start with A, and the second mile, B, all the way through the alphabet. But there was some pushback from the residents in the original eastern part of town. A lot of that turf was already settled, and people didn't want their streets renamed A, B, C, etc. There is one small area in the far eastern part of the city where you see it. There's a group of B streets in South Chicago. Um, You find Buffalo, Brandon, Burley, Baltimore. But then it doesn't really happen until what they noticed, the K's. And that's because there you're 11 miles west of the state line, 
It's the early 20th century, and that's the area where the city is really booming. That's where new streets are being laid, so we can conform to this naming convention without changing existing names. We can do Costner, Keeler, and then in the 12th mile, we can do Lacrosse, Laporte, Laramie. Just so you know, you'll find the lettering system actually goes all the way to the O's on the far northwest side. And if it went any further, you'd be in the Forest Preserve and eventually O'Hare Airport. Now we have one more from the grab bag for Dennis. This question is about a church. Actually, part of a church. It's the front wall and nothing else. It's on the corner of 19th and Peoria in Pilsen. There was a church built there in 1880 called Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church. The name is still carved over the door in German. The congregation had existed since the 1850s, but in 1880, they built the church. And sometime in the mid-50s, they depart. The German immigrants are leaving Pilsen, many of them moving to the suburbs. And the church goes through some other uses. But when the church is 99 years old in 1979, there's a huge fire. Much of the church is damaged. Soon after that fire, developers buy the property. But before they get around to making any improvements, a windstorm knocks down even more of the church. And it looks like the only thing left to do is demolish what's left. But the story takes a turn, as the developer, John Podmajerski, explained to the Tribune's Rick Kogan back in 2000. After that windstorm... He was visited by descendants of the original members of the church who had scrapbooks and other materials, and they talked about their emotional tie to this church. So our families have scattered out to the suburbs, maybe to other states, but we still think this old church has some value. And what he told Rick Kogan at the time is he was very moved, so he decided rather than demolish the little bit that was left of the church, he would restore the little bit that was left of the church. He rebuilds parts of the tower. You can see there's sort of a a solarium or sunroom up at the top, and he restores the facade and makes it this sort of symbol of old Pilsen. And when you walk through this doorway, it's not a door, it's literally a doorway, you get a little surprise meditative garden, like you're in the neighborhood and you need a break, a place to just sit and be quiet. It's a really nice spot. It's essentially serving the same purpose it did when it was a church, right? I mean, you could have walked in and sat and meditated in that old church in 1880 when it was built. Well, Dennis, everything you found out for us to help us with this grab bag has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Curious City. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. I'm so happy to do it. Just ahead, we get a little briny and extremely crunchy when we answer a question about Chicago's best shrimp. That's next. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Our last question out of the grab bag comes from listener Jim Joyce. Jim asked, where can I get good local shrimp? 
a simple but profound crowd-pleaser of a question. So I reached out to Axios Chicago reporter and my former colleague, Monica Eng. When it comes to restaurants, she is the tops. Monica knows the new, the old, the fancy, the divey, and everything in between. She suggested we meet at Han Key Barbecue and Seafood Restaurant on Argyle Street. Hello, Monica. How are you? Great. How are you? The place was big and well-lit. Pretty basic, nothing fancy. And right when you walk in, you see and hear the butcher behind the counter whacking away at things with a big cleaver. First, I want to say I love the sounds of these um, Chinese barbecue places. You always hear people cutting the um, barbecue pork in the background. They're chopping up the ducks and the chickens and the pork on a a big, like, tree stump-like cutting board. Monica orders up the salt and pepper shrimp. And I wanted to know, what is it about this shrimp from this place that she loves so much? They get these really big, fresh, juicy shrimp. They keep the heads on. They put a a lot of sort of light coating on them and then flash fry them um, in what's called a salt and pepper preparation. And so it's just a light, light coating. It's not like one of those heavy coatings of fried shrimp. And then you crunch right into them, if you're brave, and I hope you will be. You crunch right into the head, and you get this kind of juicy gush of whatever was in there. And then next, you bite into the body, and this is all without taking off the shell. And then you get this really juicy, shrimpy flavor, and then you can eat the tail if you want too for extra fiber. Soon, a big plate with about 10 jumbo prawns arrives on a bed of white crispy noodles with some thinly sliced rings of jalapeno and sweet peppers. Okay, so you're saying just pick this bad boy up and go to town. Now, I've never eaten the head of a shrimp, so what should I expect? Well, um, if you've ever had what's called the tamale of a, a lobster, it's kind of like seafoody, um, kind of a little creamy in there once you crunch past that head carpus. Head carpus. What is a head carpus? Well, like the uh, crunchy skin around the head. Do you want me to do it first? Yes, I think you should go first. Okay, so here, got the shrimp holding it by the tail. Here we go. Mmm. So, so you got a head and legs, some antenna, all in your mouth, and it's a really rich, unique flavor. You have to try it to um, to know. All right, here I go. Let's see here. Ooh, they're really hot too. Holy cats! Oh my god, that is sensational. Yeah, I love it. And then the next bite will be different. The next bite will be sweet and salty and crunchy. It'll give you a different texture as well as you move down the body. Okay, here we go. And then I just have to turn off the mic because the next 10 minutes or so is just the sound of me and Monica plowing our way through these delicious prawns. Yes, I did say prawns, and I know the question was about shrimp, but... After a little Googling, I found out some differences between the two, and when it comes to cooking and taste, they're virtually indistinguishable, although some say prawns are a tiny bit sweeter. Either way, 
I am not throwing out Han Ki's salt and pepper shrimp on some technicality, and I'm not even going to pack them up because, as Monica explains... Like a lot of fried shrimp dishes, you're going to want to eat this here. It doesn't really heat up as well as you'd like it to. It's, it's at its peak right at this moment. Okay, you don't have to ask me twice. Once I'm done clearing this plate, we turn back to business. Because as good as this place is, I know she's got a few other recommendations up her sleeve. Well, I would definitely say Trojas in Little Village, which has been there for more than 100 years. I think they've really perfected the deep-fried shrimp. They're smaller, they're juicy, you get them in a nice warm paper bag with maybe some french fries on the side, and then you walk down the street popping those in your mouth. The place first opened in 1917. World War I was still going on. And when Monica says the name Troja and Little Village, I thought it would be spelled T-R-O-J-A, like in Spanish, but... The joint was started when it was a bohemian neighborhood. So, just for the record. So it's T-R-O-H-A-S. And uh, they are located at 4151 West 26th Street. And for Monica's final recommendation? Yes, the famous smoked shrimp at Calumet Fisheries, way almost to Indiana. This place, all their seafood is great. I also love their smoked salmon. They're one of the few places that smokes their own stuff. They still are grandfathered in to do it. They also have great fried shrimp, but check out those smoked cold shrimp at Calumet Fisheries. I thank Monica and pack up my gear, but on my way home, I want to make a quick stop and give my absolute favorite spot for great local shrimp. It's way up north on Howard, just west of Ridge, and it's called the fish keg. And you know a place is good when the third generation is behind the counter. I'm Thor, Williamson is my last name. I'm actually grandson of one of the original founding owners of the fish keg. It's been here since 1950. Uh, That owner is Ted Hansen, that was my grandfather. He just had this little idea with his siblings to start a carry out fried seafood and chicken joint. My dad introduced me to this place, and now I bring my kids. Thor was in the back doing prep, and his dad was behind the counter taking orders. And next to him is another friendly face I've seen for decades. This is Sam right here. He does the magic on the fryer. If you've been coming in any time in the last 30, 40 years, he's a familiar face. So look out for him. Not much has changed over the years. The place is small and clean. There's a variety of seafood in the cold cases, and on the left are shelves stacked with all kinds of sauces and seasonings to give your fish a little extra zing or kick. I order a half pound of fried shrimp, and a few minutes later, Sam hands me a little bag with steam coming out of it. So, I'm going to go in for one of these right now. Here we go. Alright, let's see. Alright, I'm going to bust out my cocktail sauce. Here we go. Oh man, they're fresh, they are juicy, they are plump, they are so crispy. I don't know how they get them this crispy. I know that, you know, fried stuff is crispy, but this is, this is another level. All right, hold on, I'm going in for another one. And another, and another. 
I was eating them so fast, by the time I remembered I wanted to take some pictures, oh, no. they were gone. So I uh, took a picture of the empty bag. So the shrimp bag is empty, and this Curious City grab bag of questions is empty. But keep your eye on the podcast feed, because every week we'll continue answering more of your questions about Chicago history and culture. Curious City is supported by the Conan Family Foundation. It's produced by me and Joe Dassault. Adriana Cardona-Magigat is Curious City's reporter. Maggie Sivet and Catherine Nagasawa are our digital and engagement producers. And J.P. Swenson is our luminary fellow. Johanna Zorn edits the show. I'm Jason Mark. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.